You turn in your Bibles with us this morning as we begin a brand new uh, message series. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22 in God's Word. Our theme, what's our theme for this year at Lakeside? Overcomers 2016. I find nowhere in the Bible where God wants you to be a loser, a failure. I find nowhere in God's Word where God manufactures junk and he sponsors flops. I want to move into God's purposes. And God's purpose is to make you a champion, to make you a winner, for you to be an overcomer, to be more than a conqueror through him that has loved you. So in that perspective, I'm moving into a brand new message series. I find as I read the Bible that much of the Bible deals not only with our relationship with God, but focuses on our relationships with others. Our relationships with people in the world, people in the church. Our relationships with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, with our spouses, even with ourselves how we respond to our relationships will determine in life real success real happiness both in the here and now and in the hereafter in addition to the great importance that God's Word places on how we treat people You and I need to be aware of the games, the games people play. The games people play in relationships. This morning I want to start a brand new sermon series, The Games People Play. Let there be no confusion when it comes to the games people play. God always wants us To be winners, champions, overcomers. And as I was thinking about the games that people play with us, I started thinking about the games I grew up with. Board games. Board games. So every Sunday, we're going to look at a different board game that you most likely have played at one time or another. I'm going to start off each service with a board game and show you how it relates to our relationships with people. This week, let's look at this board game. Have you ever played this one as the lights dim and the video clip comes on? Have you ever played this game? I made 50000 in the stock market today. <laughs> I had twins. I Get 
How many have played the game of life? Yes. Hey, all of you should have your hands raised. And guess what? It's not a game. It's the real deal. But back to the board game, Game of Life. It's the original game of games. It was created in what year? 1860 by Milton Bradley. It was America's, it became America's most popular board game, parlor game. It was reinvented, republished in 1960. That's why I hearken back to that TV commercial. I know it looks like the Stone Age kids, but that's the commercials most of us grew up with. Right there, yeah, it was uh, republished in 1960, became the board game we know today, the game of life. It simulates, uh, tries to simulate real life as you go from uh, high school to retirement, uh, as you possibly get married and have kids. Uh, it, it tries to expose you to the game of life. And that's where we're going this morning. Would you pray with me as we present the game of life? Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, come Holy Spirit, anoint this word, grant us ears to hear, hearts to receive, in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Write it down if you would with me. I hope you can follow along in a sermon study guide. If you don't have one, lift up your hand. An usher will get one to you this morning. I see a hand in the balcony. Ushers, help us out. People don't have sermon study guides. Fill in the blank. When our Lord was asked to identify God's greatest calling upon our lives, Jesus said it was all about love. Read it with me in Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I want you to notice Jesus' three-part truth. Love God. Love others. And even love yourself. And that's a whole different sermon on its own. Because you really don't learn how to effectively love others until you truly love yourself. But that's another sermon that we'll preach later on. So God's great key to winning at the game of life isn't something so profound you need a Ph.D. diploma to understand it. God's answer, his key to winning the game of life, is not so mystical you need to be some super spiritual saint in order to decipher it. God's simple number one command in life is love. Love others. Love God. Love yourself should be so simple. Yet I submit to you that love is the most misunderstood 
It is the most abused and used word in the English language. Love. It's amazing. How many people really don't understand what real love is all about? God, in the Bible, gives us a portrait of real love. I know this will be a review for many of you, but let's explore again before we look at what love is according to God and how to win at the game of life. Let's look at what love is not. Let's look at what love is not. Write it down. God's revelation of real love is not one of words, feelings, or a physical relationship. Would you agree with me? Real love consists of more than words. Words. I had a child call me on the phone just recently. It shocked me. This child never calls me. Oh. Talked with me for an hour. Told me about their plans, their hopes, their dreams. Talked to me about their relationships. Even told me what a great father I am, what a great parent I am. Man, I thought, man, I'm just eating all this up. I thought, this is awesome. This is great. This child's been born again. And then just as I was signing off and saying how much I, I love you, Dad, I've run out of spending money. Can you send me money now? <laughs> Talk. Words. Other Sunday night, because it happens on Sunday nights on our street, a few Sunday nights ago, Becky came to me. It was late at night. I was beat. After three services Sunday morning, I was dead. She came to me and she said, Honey, she had that grin on her face. I know that grin. Honey, do you love me? And I looked at her and I said, Babe, because that's what I call it, Babe, I said, I love you more than yesterday and not as much as tomorrow. Honey, I said, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from loving you. Hubby's secret. If you don't know how to be romantic, just copy the lyrics on the oldies. She said, if you love me that much, you take out the garbage. I said, no, no. Talk, words, talk can be cheap. Anybody can say, I love you. Love is more than talk. Love is more than, than, than feelings. I remember years ago, I had a young adult come to me and say, Pastor, Pastor, would you tell me if I'm in love every time I'm around her? I get dizzy. I can't see straight. I said, that's not love. You need to go see an eye doctor. You need glasses. Real love is more than infatuation. If you're subsisting only on puppy love, infatuation, remember, puppy love leads to a dog's life. You need to go deeper than that. Amen? 
Love, we're talking about real love here this morning. Real love is not how Hollywood portrays it. Love, come on, let's be real, is not sex. I just had some guys wake up. <laughs> love is not sex. Love is not some glandular, hormonal response to a plunging neckline or a miniskirt. Love is not hairy hormone with the urge to merge. Hairy hormone who's got you in the back seat of a car. You hear me, this young ladies. And he's saying, if you really love me, you'll... You take your hand, put it out. Girls, you can test this right now. Just stretch your hand out, girls. The Bible says, whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. If you're, if you're dating some guy who, who is saying, if you love me, you'll... And then fill in the blank. You slap him across the, the chops and make his ears ring like church bells tolling. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. Real love. Come on, let's get real here this morning. I'm talking about real love. Real love is not free love. It's not shacking up together, living together love. There's free love and there's committed love. Free love takes for gratification. When love is strong enough, when love is real enough, it's committed love. It testifies before witnesses till death do us part. For richer, for poorer, sickness and health, better or worse, I love you. I want to grow old with you. But free love takes all you can give. It'll take your emotions. It'll take your money. Free lovers can pack up their bags any morning and go on to other free lovers and leave you holding the bag. Committed love gets a ring on the ring finger. Committed love gets someone who'll say, till death do us part, and is committed to be with you through thick or thin. Committed love can be a little slice of heaven here on earth. Can I hear an amen? Jesus, write it down, revealed real love, not as something you say, feel, and definitely not as physical intimacy. Jesus revealed real love as something we do as acts of love. Read what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Real love is love that gives. It's other-centered. It serves the needs of others. It fulfills the other. Real love. It's the ultimate signature of a Christian. Jesus said it in John 13, 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. That word disciple means follower, just like me. If you love one another. God's word stresses real love. 
is our highest, our highest calling. Greater than Shakespeare, greater than Keats or Shelley, these great poets of classic literature under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God caused the Apostle Paul to write this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, it'd be easy for me to read through that powerful passage in the Bible and allow it to go right over your head. But let's examine, let's dissect what Paul is actually saying here, the powerful statement that Paul is revealing here. Let's examine this word very quickly. Do you hear what God is saying in 1 Corinthians about love and what we call success? Here it is. It doesn't matter if you are a super spiritual Pentecostal saint who can speak in tongues 40,000 miles per hour. If you don't love others, you are nothing. It doesn't matter if you have the gift of prophecy and you know the future. You can predict the rise and fall of Wall Street. You can predict the next earthquake disaster. You can predict the next time ISIS will strike and commit a terrorist act. If you could know the future, presidents would be calling you every morning. Wall Street high rollers, media outlets would be calling you to know about the future. You would be touted a success by the world. But God says, if you don't love others, you are nothing. Paul goes on to say, even if you have the intellect of an Einstein, an Edison, Stephen Hawking, Jonas Salk, the creator of the polio vaccine, even if you were able to call up the American Medical Association and declare that you have found the cure for all diseases, even if you won the Nobel Prize, and Time Magazine made you the person of the year. If you don't love people, as you're called to love people, you are nothing. Look at God's standards of success. The Bible goes on to say, even if you had mountain-moving faith, even if you had such great faith, you were able to cause the lame to walk and the blind to see. If you were able to produce miracles that would pack out the stadiums, God is saying, 
even if you were the greatest miracle, wonder-working evangelist of all time uh, that had such great faith, you were able to raise the dead, but you did not have love. You are nothing. This is God's standard of success. This is God's standard of achievement. This is God's insight. Think of it. We invest so much time. We invest so much energy. We invest so much talent at what we think amounts to being a success. And God is saying, if you don't have love, you've missed the mark. You are nothing. You're a failure. But the problem goes even deeper than this. The problem goes even beyond success, success and failing. The problem is a spiritual problem. A deadly problem is if God's real love is not operative in our lives. Hear what God's Word says. In 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in what? Death. We're not talking about physical death here. We're not talking about eternal death. It could lead to that. We're talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death. If real love is lacking in you, you remain in spiritual death. It doesn't matter how many church memberships you have. It doesn't matter how many church titles you have. It doesn't matter if you're an elder. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon. It doesn't matter if you're the senior pastor of the church. If Christ's real love is not operative in your life for others, you remain in spiritual death. You are not a child of God. You are not a Christ follower. You are not a Christian. This problem is so serious. You see, without love, Christianity is just another cult. The world doesn't care about what we know. The world wants to know that we care. Do you really care for others? Do you have compassion for others? I'm not talking just about the lovely people. It's easy to love attractive people. I'm not talking just about the people that love you back. It's easy to love people who love you back. I'm talking about loving the unlovely and the unloving. Well, we're on the subject. In the game of life, write it down. You're going to... You're going to encounter people who are difficult to really love. Who are the difficult people in your life? Don't elbow anybody right now. Who are, who are the people in your life that are really, really, really difficult to love? How about that sourpuss that lives on your street? The one that's always criticizing 
you about how you take care of your lawn, your landscaping, how loud your kids are or you are, and he lives right next door to you. Who are the difficult people in your life? How about the demanding boss? You're not his or her employee. You're their slave. I don't want to hear an amen from my office staff. How about your perfectionistic in-laws? Oh, rubber meets the road there. They're constantly conveying the message to you. You'll never be good enough for our child. Pastor Ryan, don't say amen. How about the elderly parent? How about the elderly parent who is so demanding and so difficult and you have been asked to care for them? And you're still not done caring for your kids. You are called the sandwich generation. You're, taking, you're, you're, you're giving care on both sides of the spectrum. An elderly parent. <sighs> Many of you remember my poor dad that passed out while preaching. Uh, my 85-year-old dad last summer uh, passed out while preaching. We took him to emergency. He felt so bad about it until he heard that his brother, his younger brother, did the exact same thing just a few weeks later, boarding, boarding a commercial air flight. And my uncle, after passing out, had to spend a few days in the hospital. He was then brought back to the airport, same airport, to get a flight home. And uh, he was being pushed around in a wheelchair. And my cousins, who were <laughs> wheeling him in the wheelchair, came to a ramp, a descending ramp. And the husband thought his wife was hearing him as he passed off the wheelchair to which she was looking the other way. My uncle went speeding down the ramp screaming, Help! <laughs> Poor guy had to spend more... No, no, he didn't go by the hospital. Difficult people. We're talking about difficult... How many of you have strict, overprotective parents and it's just rules 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 all the time rules for where you go rules for who you see rules for your activities rules about your homework rules about the computer rules about the cell phone and it's rules 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 instead of relationship but it's not just difficult parents there's difficult children as well Defiant children, rebellious children. I can remember at age 16 sticking out my bony chest and telling my parents off. I said, I've had it up to here with you. I am done with your commandments from Mount Sinai. Who do you think you are, God? I'm up to the, my, my, here with your rules. I'm out of here. I'm packing my bags. I'm leaving. I was expecting them to be on their knees crying, begging. My dad looked at me and said, I'll help you pack your luggage. <laughs> Whoa, something's wrong here. I'm making a bad decision. <laughs> Difficult people. Some of you parent the hyperactive child. And this child can occasionally 
drive even the most mild-mannered parent absolutely, totally insane. Difficult people. But then on top of it all, there's difficult spouses. I said there's difficult spouses. Don't say amen. There's the non-communicating spouse. Vo their vocabulary is usually strangely limited to a few grunts, expressions, and words. They go through married life, uh-huh, uh-uh. One of their favorite words is, I don't know, or nothing. And they can just nothing you to death. And then there's the complaining spouse. The house is never clean enough. The refrigerator is never full enough. Uh, uh, the, the kids are never uh, washed up enough or behaving good enough. It's just never, ever, ever up to par. I love telling the story of the complaining husband who wanted two eggs for his breakfast one morning. One fried, one scrambled. The wife went into the other room and all of a sudden she heard him screaming. You fried the wrong egg. God bless her soul. She didn't get upset. The next morning for his cornflakes, she set them on fire because he wanted a hot breakfast. <laughs> then there's the moody spouse. The moody. Do you know the moody people in your life? Huh? They're not even keel. Their emotions run like this. And you never know from day to day what you're going to come home to. Are you going to come home to joy or the pits? The high maintenance spouse. They're a burden on the other spouse. Because you always have to cheer up that person, uplift that person, keep them in a positive mindset. I heard of a man that was married his whole marital life to a moody wife. And on his deathbed, he called her to come over close so he could whisper in her ear, Wife! Wife! After I die, I want you to marry Johnny. Johnny? You always hated Johnny. Johnny was your worst enemy. I know. I want him to suffer as I have suffered. I want him to suffer as I've suffered. <laughs> then there's the unromantic, the unromantic spouse. This spouse has all the romantic love and the affection of spam. And the hurt goes deeper than the unloved wants to admit. I know a woman that was married to an unromantic, unloving husband. She was out shopping. She was going through the checkout line. And the cashier noticed inside of her purse, as she was fumbling for her credit card, noticed inside her purse there was a TV remote control. And the cashier said, may I ask, ma'am, why do you have a TV remote control in your purse? And uh, the woman looked at her and she said, it's my husband's and it's the most evil thing I can do to him legally to take away his TV remote control. 
Then there's some that are married to the angry spouse. The angry spouse. Angry in words. Angry in actions. Angry in attitudes. The family walks in fear. Waiting for this one to come home. Because they're always angry. They're really not angry at the family member. They're angry over something that happened in the past. Or they're angry over something that's happened in the present. You just become the punching bag for their misdirected anger. It always reminds me, it always reminds me, hear me in this, it always reminds me of watching years ago, I saw a bullfight on TV. Out comes, out comes, out comes the matador in those tight, fancy pants with the red cape and this enraged bull. It charges at the cape. It charges at the red cape. It keeps striking at the red cape. And the whole time it should be charging who? I'm yelling at the TV, get the prissy in the tight pants. Charge the matador. He's the one. People who are angry consistently, it's usually misguided, misdirected anger. And you have become the punching bag or you are receiving the brunt of their misdirected, they're angry at a boss, they're angry at failing in the past, they're angry at something other than you, but you're receiving the results of it. We're talking about difficult people, and I, I could go on and on and on. How are we to respond to these difficult people in our lives? How, how should we react to the games that people play with us, the game called life? Do we respond with resentment, retaliation? Like we saw in the TV commercial, revenge. One husband seriously asked his wife, Wife, how is it that when I get angry at you, when I yell at you, and when I criticize you, you never seem to get upset? How is it? She said, I just go and clean the toilet. He says, how does that make a difference? She said, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> Revenge is not God's way. If you are responding with resentment, retaliation, revenge, hear me, hear me, you are being controlled by their attitude. You are being controlled by their action. You are imprisoning yourself. That's why God said, love your enemies. Perse bless those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Honey, sir, ma'am, God created you to be a lover, not a hater. You have been wired for love. You have been programmed for God's love to be an extension of His love. It goes against your programming when you hate. 
It goes against your wiring when you get bitter and resentful. That's why you feel so bad. Forgiveness heals you. It cleanses you. It's not just for the victimizer. It's for you. You've been created to be a lover, not a hater. Turn to the one next to you right now and say, I'm a love machine. <laughs> the, youth, the, youth, the youth section has just had a spiritual experience over here. How does God want us to play the game of life? John 13 again. A new command I give you. Love one another. Okay, I got that, Jesus. But... Jesus goes on. Look at what Jesus says. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. My love is not measured by Romeo. My love is to be deeper than Mother Teresa. My love is to be just like the love of Jesus. This is the degree of love for one another that we are called to. I hope you've got that. What does it mean to show real love like Jesus? Oh, mark it down. Of the 14 definitions of love the Apostle Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 13, the first, the first, the priority that he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this, love is patient. Patient. How patient are you? When you set the microwave for 30 seconds, do you stand in front of it like me and say, hurry up! How many of you like me sit at the traffic light waiting for it to turn green? Hurry up! I'm getting old! And what's the greatest... What's the great American prayer? Oh God, give me patience and give it to me right now. Are you patient? Our sovereign God is the ultimate in patient love. Your Bible and my Bible from cover to cover, is the story of God loving the world, restoring the world, you and I, back to Him. This book tells the story of how God sent Moses with the plan of life and salvation, and God's people rejected Moses. This book shares how God sent the prophets with a thus saith the Lord, and the people stoned the prophets. This book shares the story of how God sent kings to lead the people in the pathways of righteousness. King Saul outrightly rebelled and disobeyed God. King David had his encounter with Bathsheba. Solomon was led into idolatry by his wives. And yet God kept loving. God kept sending prophets, kings, 
Moses, God kept exercising patient love. Ultimately, God sent his very best. And his very best was laid in a feeding trough. Laid in a manger. And as God's very best did not come in a limousine surrounded by secret service agents, but was laid in a Bethlehem manger and then ultimately laid upon a cross where they mocked him. They spat upon him. And it ran down his cheeks. And they tortured him sadistically. What did the patient love of God do? What did the patient love of God say? As he hung there, he said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but I need that kind of love flowing through my life. I need that kind of love flowing through me to the difficult people in my life. It's easy to love lovely people. It's easy to love loving people. It's hard to love difficult people. That's why we need His love. I teach a lot of Bible prophecy Many times people ask me, why hasn't Jesus come yet? The Bible answers that in 2 Peter. The Bible says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. And even now, God is patient with you and with me. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that the Lord, the lover of my soul, did not write me off. I don't know about you. I, I, I've got some mistakes. I've got some failings in my past. I've got some regrets. And, and I'm thankful they're under the blood. And He hasn't stopped loving me yet. And He hasn't stopped loving you. When we are faithless, He's faithful. He's faithful. And He keeps loving. And He keeps loving even when we mess up. Even when we're in a pit, a black pit of sin. He keeps loving. His love is relentless. His love is patient. His love endures. His love locks its jaw and keeps loving. It goes the distance. Because He so loves you. He so loves me. Even right now, what is Jesus doing in heaven? What is Jesus doing in heaven right now? Is He sitting there twiddling His thumbs? The Bible says that even right now, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. Even right now, the Bible says, He ever lives to intercede for us 
Think of it, sir, ma'am. He's calling your name out right now because he knows you better than you know yourself. He's calling your name right now. Nail-scarred hands are being lifted up before the throne of God as he prays for you with patient love that your faith might not fail. That you'll finish strong that you'll run the race that's been set before you, that you'll fight the good fight, that you'll finish your course. What do you do with love like that? I said, what do you do with love like that? We're talking about patient love. Patient love endures. Write it down. It never gives up. It always expects God's best. It doesn't give up on loving difficult people. It doesn't give up on loving the games or the people who play the difficult people, the games they play. Patient love keeps loving. It endures a loveless marriage. It endures uh, uh, that unloving spouse. Patient love. Uh, patient love keeps praying for an alcoholic son. Patient love keeps expecting for that drug-addicted daughter to be set free in the name of Jesus. Patient love locks its jaw. It refuses to be controlled by the hurts and the hates of others. It rises above it in strong forgiveness that only comes from God. It refuses to be held hostage by resentment or bitterness. You see, patient love fosters a miracle mentality. If you'll move in patient love, you're creating a pathway for the miraculous to happen in your loved one's life, in that difficult person's life, as you keep loving them as unto the Lord, as God has loved you. Patient love goes the distance. Not only because it creates miracles, because it's what God wants. It gives God glory. It's the overcomer's lifestyle. It's being a real winner at the game of life. Becky and I have pastored this church for many years now. And I recognize from my counseling that some of you have the misconception that because we're in the pastoral life that we live a charmed life that we live in an ivory tower exempt from problems and difficult people difficult circumstances but I'm here to tell you And I've always tried to be transparent with you. That we understand. We understand what it's like. To have difficult children. To have difficulties as a parent. understand what it's like 
to sit in a principal's office and shake your head and look at that principal and say, we haven't had this problem before. We don't understand. I know what it's like to be in Shelby Township Police Department or in court. I understand what it's like to break down a bedroom door and find a child unconscious and race to emergency and pray, oh God, oh God, oh God, wake him up. And it's so easy to get angry. And from my perspective, to say, ruining my ministry, and to stop loving. But when you exercise patient love, and it's not within us, it's not our nature, but when you say, Lord, I need your help. I can't keep forgiving. I can't keep loving. I can't keep dealing with this. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Keep loving through me. I'm here to tell you it works. This month, Becky and I are going to go to a commencement ceremony. And somebody is going to be walking across that line, graduating with a four-year college degree, almost solid A's this semester. Dr. Ben Carson is going to be the speaker. And I've just been asked this week to give the benediction at that ceremony. Hallelujah. But I hope you're not applauding because I'm giving the benediction. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, there'll be a miracle walking across that stage. God answers prayer. Patient love works. Now I trust you as a congregation. I've been very transparent. And I trust your confidentiality when it comes to Facebook, Twitter, or anything else. I share that only because parent, maybe I haven't been to the depths of where you're at, but I understand. And I'm here to tell you the patient love of our Lord is real, it works. Expect the best, expect a brighter tomorrow in the name of Jesus. Let it happen in you and through you. Stand with me right now, if you would. You have one more blank to fill. Here it is. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I can't do it. It's not within me. I want to give you the prayer that I've used. This is my prayer. Jesus, give through me to the difficult person in my life 
what I am unable to give. Your forgiveness, your compassion, your patient love. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Jesus, be Jesus in me. And that's what so many of you need here this morning. To be a winner at the game called life. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we're keenly aware that life is far more than a game. It's real. It's serious. It means the difference between blessing and curse in the here and now and the hereafter. So, Lord, as we've testified of your patient love, Lord, exercise that love right now. Come on down and tug at that heart that is away from you. Knock upon that heart's door that is closed to you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and no one is looking around the privacy of this moment, what are you going to do with the love of Jesus? Isn't it about time you said yes to Jesus? Even right now, He's there standing at your heart's door, calling you, knocking upon your heart's door. Would you let Him in? If you do, He'll change you. He'll rearrange your life. Isn't it time you said yes to Jesus? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around in the sacredness of this moment. I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation, a prayer that'll give you a brand new life in the here and now and it'll give you heaven in the life to come. If you would like to be included in the prayer, that I'm about to pray. Just show your faith by just lifting up your hand right now so that I can see it, especially so that God can see it. Thank you, God bless you. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Praise the Lord. How many more? Lift it up high. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. Yes, God bless you. Over 10 hands have been lifted up to Jesus. Keep those hands lifted up. I'm going to pray this prayer. Your uplifted hand is a sign of your faith here this morning. As I pray this prayer, pray it with me. Own it. Make it your prayer. In fact, I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud right now. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now and I confess I'm a sinner, but Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. Move me from death to life. I believe you died for me. You paid for my sins. And you rose from the dead with resurrection life. 
I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me, for rearranging me. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm going home one day. Heaven where I belong. I thank you that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I receive this as I believe it. Amen. Give God the glory right now. You may put those hands down. More than 10, 10, 10 people receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior.